I just hope that the Zoom is uh, okay. I'm I'm sitting in my sauna. It's a uh, it's You're a sitting in of, your sauna. It's a it's a winter garden. <laughs> it's kind of a winter terrace in sauna and uh, yeah. Actually, I was a little bit worried. I thought the picture might be bad. This is a very clear picture, and the sound is excellent. Thank you. Well, let me tell you a little story. Uh, I had really bad coverage because some Russian guys had a similar uh, program on the internet, and uh, I had terrible connection. I called a friend of mine. He works for the mobile telecommunication company. He occupies one of the kind of uh, senior positions, and I said, "Listen, your mobile network is crap." He said, no, don't say that. I said, no, I'm telling you this because I don't get any coverage. I cannot communicate. You know what he did? He brought a mobile station, like a four-wheel, a big truck, Mm. just uh, about 300 meters from my place, and he just parked it there. (laughs) So I have my personal, (laughs) like, well, I mean, uh, link there. Wait, it's great to be the Olympic champion, I guess, right? Not just some friends. Oh, nice. Very nice. Well, listen, we're recording. So, Alex Popoff, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? Good, good, Brad. Good to see you. Huh? It's been a yeah. while. It's been a while, man. It's been a long what, time. What is this that's uh, on your face? That's called old age, my friend. That's what that is. Yeah. Uh, a bit, a bit silverish, huh? Yeah, it is a bit silverish. Yeah. The hair's gone. The silver here. It's, it's all happening, you know? I just had the shave not long ago, to be honest. <laughs> Good. I didn't grow it purposely, but you know, I because we are on a kind of on the isolation still, mm-hmm. and uh, sitting in the countryside house, and you know, I don't yeah. look after myself uh, the way I should probably. <laughs> well, you look great, man. You look great. Um, listen, Thanks. there's so much to talk about, and I want to I want to get into your career because you had. Um, you know, you're, you're the most famous sprinter in history. There's no doubt about it. You revolutionized sprinting for everybody, for, for everybody in history. Uh, Alex Popoff came along and everything changed. So for me, there's so much to talk about. Um, I'm such a big fan of yours, even though I was a competitor of many, for many years of yours. Uh, I don't know how effective I was, but uh, I know that you, you pushed me to be a better person for me. Um, I never got to your heights in terms of your accomplishments, but um, you are a big hero of mine for many years. And I think the first time we actually met each other was um, at the Australian Institute of Sport in 1993. I think that's when you first moved there, right? In 93? Exactly right. Yeah, that was, well, first I came in January, about 21st or so of January, or maybe 22nd uh, of 1993. You're right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, um, and what they did at the time is, I, I guess, the Australian swimming team uh decided to get all the best prospective sprinters in the country so i think they invited maybe 20 people to come and train with the new olympic champion alexander popoff and come down and and train i remember the first time i saw you you were actually uh just in a in a little swimsuit you had flip-flops on and you had a water polo ball and you were you were throwing the water polo ball to your friend um Vladimir Proshenko, right? He was he yeah. Was uh, he was uh, later in '93 then. Okay. Uh, yeah. If if you are mentioning Vlad, then it must have been kind of after September or maybe even October mm-hmm. of three. Yeah, and I just remember you two throwing a water polo ball to each other. He was standing about twenty meters away, and you were you were catching it up here, 
and throwing it up here. And I just thought to myself, that's, that's the two biggest men I've ever seen in my life. Like I was a 17 year old kid, but I saw you for the first time and I was totally in awe of how you looked. Oh, well, that's, uh, there's a lot of work behind it. It was, it was a lot of work. Now, listen, a lot of people don't realize when you first started swimming, you were a backstroker, right? I was. Well, I used to swim backstroke. In, in Russia, in, in Russian swimming and in Russian sport, we have grades. In, in, in swimming in particular, we have grades in all sports. And, uh, for instance, you, have, uh, you start from third grade, second, first, and then, and then other, other uh, levels. And uh, uh, level two, I think I, uh, I succeeded in medley. Mm. Level one, I said, no, vice versa. Level two, I succeeded in freestyle, 100 freestyle. Level one, I succeeded in uh, medley. Mm. Um, and, then, and then backstroke became a bit more serious. And then I, I kept on going backstroke until I joined Gennady's squad. Yeah. How old were you when you met up with Gennady for the first time? Above. Well, I, I can tell you when I joined the squad, um, probably first time I saw Gennady, that must have been about 88, 87, uh, somewhere at the national training camp. So maybe you were like 13, 14 or something? Uh, about 15, 16. Oh, 15, 16. Okay. 15, 16, yeah. Yeah, but he remembered me more than I did, I did him. Oh, really? He noticed, yeah, that's what he has been telling me, that he, I've noticed uh, the guy who, who could swim okay freestyle, but he needed more attention, more work. Mm-hmm. Uh, proper. Like I was doing a lot of work, but in backstroke. So when you met with Gennady, how many were in the group for your training group at that time? I joined the squad in September of 1990. There were two senior swimmers. They were already participants of the uh, World Championships, Europeans, Olympics. And uh, in January, or maybe late January or early February, we had another two swimmers coming in. Vlad was one of them, and there was another guy from Russia. Hmm, uh, After all, we, we were five, and four became Olympic champions in Barcelona. Unbelievable. So you, you join maybe two years out from Barcelona and, and then two years later you become double Olympic champion in the 50 and the 100. So obviously something happened in that period. Now I know Gennady's one of the most famous um, coaches in history, obviously with his theories and his techniques, um, not only physically but mentally the way he trained you. But, um, you know, you had a very unique style. It was different. It, it, and I think Gennady called it kind of like the kayak style you know where it was very balanced and it was all about rhythm and range and relaxation so how did you go from here to here become olympic champion in just two years well when i joined uh gennady uh or gennady's squad uh my personal best uh for 100 freestyle 50 i'm not even talking about because it was too shocking mm-hmm. you know i uh used to swim kicking almost as fast as i used to swim 50 freestyle back then um i think my best was about 51 6 mm. 51 5 okay. and uh but gennady already had an idea and he had not an idea he knew how to train me how to prepare me mm. so for the first uh, three months september october and no, about four months 
when I was training with the senior guys uh, of Gennady's squad already, I not used to train together. You know, we used to swim in pairs, like there were three of us, and I always trained with uh, the the elder, the eldest uh, swimmer. Mm. And actually, taught me the pace. You know, the some some culture. Let's put it that way. He he told me uh, he taught me some culture, like squad culture. You know, discipline, um, respect, respect not to each other, but also of course to the coach. That's the main one. Mm-hmm. And um, and four months later, I won. That was you have Australian Cup. We had Russia Cup. A USSR Cup. That was the last USSR Cup held in Kharkiv in Ukraine. Uh, that was December 1990. Mm. I swam about 50.7, 50.6. And first time I won the 50 as well. And first time I swam 50 under 23 seconds. I, I swam 22, nine, nine, nine something, nine, nine, five, nine, six. <clears throat> and before, Officially, I have never broken 24 seconds. So mm-hmm. I stayed 23 seconds, so I jumped, you know, into it. <laughs> and uh, that's how it basically started. And uh, at the end of that year, I already swam 49.1. eight, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in Athens and the Europeans. And that year, top three results were exactly the same. 49.18, Matt Biondi. Stefan Caron of France and myself. Mm. Now, listen, I, I know obviously more about your career once you got to Australia and, and then 96 and 2000, you know, when you won in 2003 in Barcelona and, and all those sorts of events. I don't know much about 92, so you're going to have to help me a little bit. But obviously you become Olympic champion in the 50 and the 100 freestyle. How, how did you do it? Like how, how, I mean, how were you ready for that at that point in time? <clears throat> oh, well, Brett, you see, the thing is that uh, um, as soon as I joined Gennady's squad, he, well, he, first of all, he has been uh, kind of giving me uh, a lot of kind of mental uh, support. Mm. And secondly, he would always give me a choice how we can do things. He can say, you know, you can get from point A to point B uh many different ways so he said we can get to this result doing this going hard way going uh, it's not much harder but it's not easy so he would always have like two or three ideas in his head and he would ask me what would i prefer and we would always come uh to, to a common uh, decision common uh, kind of uh, ground together because we decided yeah we, we go this way there is no other way and um, and he has uh, started to prepare me for second 50 under 25 seconds mm. and in training we used to quite often we used to swim 100 freestyle from push let's say five second difference it, it didn't matter like you can start 40 but you have to go 35 the five second difference should be there it could be more. It could. It could. It could not be less. And uh, and when I started to swim thirty and under twenty five back from push, this is when Gennady like started 
started to kind of put uh, a lot of uh, confidence in me. So she said, you can, you can swim fast, you can don't look around, swim your own race, do your own work. And uh, this is what he, he has been telling me uh, how to, how to, let's say, to start and how to proceed. Mm, interesting. I mean, there's more that I want to talk about your training, obviously, but um, I do want to touch on the way that you raced as well, because the pop-off that I knew was very funny, you know, was very relaxed, was very um, charismatic, you know, uh, you know, you could hold the whole room. Everybody was, uh, everybody was in your hand, you know, but by, by the time you walked out behind the blocks, you became a different person. You, you became very stoic. You became almost emotionless. And it was very different to the person that I saw behind in the marshalling era, even in practice. Um, you became this different person. Is that correct? Is that intentional? No, Brett. You see, when, when you are uh, training for the race, for, for, let's say, world championships, you are kind of uh, trying all different types of techniques. Remember, we used to swim. Um, uh, we used to have get-out swims. Mm. Remember that? And we, we, we practiced with uh, that drill quite a lot. And uh, we were, let's say, trying different, let's say, if you get late for the warm-up, if you don't have enough time. So what do you do? So you get, I mean, you get to the pool, you come to the pool, get changed, and you have to be ready for it mentally, psychologically, so that you don't stress. We've been preparing all sorts of uh, strategies, all sorts of, philosophical psychological approaches for the competition so for me it was very easy because as as, as you just said that you know i was you know easy going let's mm. say in the cold but as soon as you step out of that room and go into the starting blocks that's the end of the story you know mm. that's the work starts and uh, you have to concentrate and i already had in my head um back back that way but by that uh by that time I already had in my head a strategy that I would I would uh, probably swim the race with. Start a bit slower and then pick up on the second 50 or start faster and then just hold on. Yeah. So by that time I was uh, I knew what I need to do. There's obviously two different approaches to the 50 and the 100 and and you were very well known as, as a hundred freestyler, but you're also a double Olympic champion in the 50 freestyle. So do you, how do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as a hundred man or a 50 man or just a sprinter? No, my favorite is a hundred. And mm. I would say it's definitely not a sprint. It's uh, very painful. The last 25, if you remember. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's not like in athletics, uh, you know, hundred meters, like 10 under 10 seconds uh, for us, it's like 25 meters. Mm. But it's uh, I'm I prefer a hundred, fifty bonus. Yeah, well, fifty is a bonus for sure. But well, listen, the in preparation for the hundred, what are some of the things that you did physically? Because I know you you were kind of different than most sprinters. You could handle a lot of work, and there were very often times, even when I was training with you at periods of time where you were doing a hundred k's a week. Uh, that was pretty normal for you, right? Well, it was not normal. Normal would be about 50, 60 Ks a week, but 100 would be like a peak, uh, peak workload that we would do. The key is uh, the physical condition. Physical condition. Every day I would, uh, I would do the 600 units. I've learned uh, that particular exercise, let's say 600. You know what 600 is. You do 
different exercises and you all add up to 600. You know, push-ups, squats, sit-ups, you name it. Abs, all sorts of things. You work on your shoulders and it's just the warmer. It's just conditional work. And after those 600 units, uh, you can do and you can go and, you know, do the bench press or you can do a, a, a let's pull down or chin-ups, anything you want. And those 600 units, I would do six times a week you name it every day basically every day every week every month only at the competitions when i'm uh, when i'm i'm in the races and um then i'm doing maybe 150 maybe 200 just to keep that you know level of fitness up and this is very important uh when when we came to australia a lot of australian swimmers at the institute of sport they had a lot of injuries like shoulders elbows uh, back whatever whatever <clears throat> and about maybe six months maybe 12 months after they had no problems because the coaches they started to see what i do in the gym and then they then they realized it and they you know delivered the same message to their swimmers and then when i would come to the training in the morning to the ais i saw a lot of well, basically everybody doing some conditioning work with a little tiny stretch cord but for the shoulders, for the elbows, and since uh, since about 1995, maybe 1996, none of the Australian swimmers at the AIS had any injuries. Mm, that's true. I don't, Adam Pine, so you know the squad in in particular, squad of Jim Fowley, they would do it every day, every day in the morning before training, and then the squad of um, Mark Regan, the same. Barry yeah. Prime, same. Actually, you mentioned Barry Prime. Uh, he he uh, he sent me a message a couple of days ago and, and told me to say hello to you. He's he's a he misses you very much. Thank you. Saying hello to Barry. <laughs> he, he'll listen to this, I'm sure. Um, listen, when you when you came to the AAS, you revolu revolutionized Australian swimming too, because like you said, we started to mimic and copy and and um, and follow your training plans and. And they were very different to what most people were doing, especially in terms of distance per stroke. I, I, as a sprinter, I was always taught rate, 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 fast, fast, fast. But when I came to you and Gennady, it was always slow down, lengthen out. And we actually did a lot of training in the mirror. I remember standing in front of a mirror and Gennady would make me swim this stroke for hours in front of the mirror, right? Yeah. Yeah. We to do that before but you came a little bit later so that's why <laughs> then no but um you see um the philosophy behind it is quite simple it's um we we've been trying to to make a comparison with gennady how would uh, you explain it to a normal person you know what do you mean length per stroke uh, how do you speed up and we say listen you know when the car you know when you accelerate the car the circumference of the wheel it stays constant what it does it just turns a little bit faster you know but to make it turn faster the engine produces more power mm. we need to produce more power to go faster you see sometimes uh, why technique sometimes you think you're trying to apply a bit more force in the water to go faster but in in um, if your technique uh, is not up to standard you, you're just creating more resistance you're not going any faster you're creating more resistance 
and that's the reason why you get more tired so yeah. that's why work on your technique is very very important distance per stroke keep it keep it for as well for as low as possible and try to maintain the same quantity over let's say two four three hundred eight hundred two kilometers five kilometers the same same distance per stroke yeah yeah it used to drive me mad how good you were at that you were so good at it and i uh, i would be okay for a lap maybe two laps but gennady would give us an 800 and you would just be on point the whole way and you would just fly ahead and i'm trying to keep up and so then i would have to increase my rate and then gennady would get frustrated and i just couldn't figure it out but you did you count your strokes consistently every lap oh wow every even even now when I get in the swimming pool very, very occasionally, straight away, you know, I start counting strokes. When I go up the stairs, I count the steps. <laughs> that is, you know, the way Gennady set me up, you know, and I can't get rid of it. <laughs> Probably not a bad idea, actually. That's hilarious. I love that. That's amazing. Well, uh, listen, actually, I meant to get back because the first time I remember meeting you, um, I, you won't remember this, but I actually, I was a 17-year-old kid and um, we, you invited us back to your dorm room, wherever you were staying at the AS, probably some, some dorm that was like a, a prison cell. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but I remember, I remember that night we, we ate dinner together and then we went back to your room and then um, for some reason we went out and bought ice creams and, and, and you wanted an ice cream. I asked you if you wanted one and I remember bringing you back an ice cream and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I just, I just bought Alex Popov an ice cream. I was so excited, you know? Oh, that I don't don't remember but you know thanks for reminding and another uh my favorite uh drink back then you know when i was in australia was hot chocolate and marshmallows <laughs> in you know i would go let's say on friday evening or maybe even saturday evening i would go there sit in a cafe order hot chocolate and a marshmallow you know have two cups and then go home <laughs> well, yes not home Oh, that's funny. That is funny. I don't know how you, you live there. Why did you make the decision to come to Australia in the first place? Oh, well, I just followed Gennady. Gennady, uh, Gennady signed a contract with the Air with Australian Institute of Sport after 92 games. And um, we had a talk. And he said, well, I'm moving uh, because I need to change the environment. I want to go. I want to grow as a coach. And uh, if you want to come with me, I will try to make all the arrangements and all necessary things so that you can come with me well you can follow me and uh he <clears throat> he landed in australia on christmas around christmas australian christmas on catholic christmas and uh i came out you know maybe three three and a bit weeks later hmm. so he managed to invite me over and just kept, uh, you know, for me, very important thing was to stay with Gennady, to train with him and keep on going. And actually, uh, breaking the routine. You know what breaking the routine is? <clears throat> I need to change everything which was around me. I changed not just a little bit, but I changed the whole lot. I changed the country, I changed the society, I changed the language of communication. Everything was new. Mm. And for me, that was, uh, back then, that was a, a big motivation as well. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. That's a good message for, for people that are stuck and maybe need a change, but, um, you know, talk to us. Uh, and obviously 96, you go into, uh, the games you for a minute. Oh, you there? Come back. Come back. Uh, where are you? I am here. 
There you are. I got you. you lo- okay. You lost me or I lost you? That's all right. No problem. That happens. Um, listen, in the lead up to 96, you're the favorite, uh, you know, to defend. Was there pressure on you going into 96? Did you feel different now that you had to defend your Olympic titles? Yeah. Yeah, it was very difficult. It was uh, psychologically, emotionally difficult uh, because I had expectations, you know, from the Russian side. You know, they were counting on me. And also, I had a lot of pressure in the U.S. because, you know, competing against uh, Gary and uh, the guys uh, from the U.S. was not easy on their home soil. And um, prior to games, we were uh, somewhere in Colombia. South, no, Colombia of, mm, in one of the states, neighboring states uh, to uh, Atlanta. And uh, we had an open training. And the spectators played very nasty games there. Oh, man, that was not nice. But, you know, we managed. We managed. Oh, yeah? Like what? What would they do? I know, but I mean, I would step on the block, you know, to do some sprinting, or either technical sprinting or time sprinting. And they would uh, yell out something like, oh, Gary Hall is the best and stuff like that. You know, I would, I hear, I heard it, but I pretended that I didn't hear it or I didn't understand it. And I just kept on going. But um, you see, going from one Olympics to another, if you are defending or, you know, if you go on first time, it's easy because you're a newcomer, you don't have anything to lose, so you just go. If you come to defend, it's uh, probably twice as hard as to win the games. Mm. And every other time, it becomes twice as hard. Mm. Yeah. So, like mathematical progression. <clears throat> yeah, well, I, I competed against you, so it was 10 times as hard. And then it was, <laughs> it was, it was impossible for someone like me. But, you know, in, in terms of the rivalry that you had with Gary... Uh, when was the first time you actually met him? Was was it at the games itself? No, we swam against each other in '94 at the Worlds in Rome. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Knew each other from from the previous competitions. And so, why do you think we- the, the relationship was strained? I mean, it was it was it was really a rivalry for the first time. You know, in in sprinting, we had two people that were really kind of clashing. Why why do you think that happened? I have no idea. Just. You know, shit happens if, if you say or uh, what, what you say. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were all pretending, you know, there is only one first place, huh? And um, for instance, <clears throat> be it you or be it someone else, if you're pretending to take the place, I wouldn't like it. And uh, no, nobody would like it, you know? But um, no, it's just normal, normal in sport, you know? I, mm. On the other hand, I think it made it a bit more interesting, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was very interesting. I loved it. Um, well, uh, you know, you do defend. You become the, the double Olympic champion in, in the 1500 uh, and the only, the only sprinter in history, right, to defend your titles both in the 50 and the 100, correct? Well, back in... Uh, honestly, I received a, a telegram from the daughters of Johnny Weissmuller in, in the village in, in Atlanta. And they congratulated me, you know, to defend the 100 in particular because back then in 24 and 28, there were no 50s. 
and uh, they congratulated me on defending back to back to uh, Olympic titles uh, on the hundred freestyle, and which was very touching. I had it somewhere in my files uh, back in back at home, back in Russia then, but I don't know. I don't know where it is now. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, there was no one else. There's yeah. nobody else uh, who um, who succeeded, you know, by yeah. winning fifty-two games. Very impressive, my friend. Was uh, was that relieving after you after you won those, you know, back to back? Or did you feel a sense of relief? Uh, the big relief was after the hundred because it was uh, very difficult to start and start uh, well. Once you start, it just starts to roll kind of down the hill, and you just you just have to steer it, you know, steer it in your head emotionally and psychologically, and the body does uh, what what it does uh, the best does the job does the you know what whatever you trained for and finished a couple of things on this um what what's the last thing gennady says to you before you go out to defend your title or or win olympic games is there anything you know nothing no nothing just says we, good luck sometimes he doesn't even say that he just says okay go and enjoy it uh, or um, he could say something like, uh, "We need, we need, we need the result." He doesn't say that we, I, you know, we need the win. You know, we need the gold medal. He said we need the result. At these particular competitions, we need the result. Uh, try to concentrate. Let's say to go close to your personal best, or maybe even your personal best. So it's just it's a different uh, different approach once again. Because the coach is also a great psychiatrist. He knows what you're capable of or what I was capable of. And uh, sometimes you need to find maybe one or two words that could just flick you, you know, like the whole picture in your head around and uh, make you go like nonstop, flat out. Mm, yeah. And he, he was very good at that. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> Tell me this. Well, what Oh yeah, go. Um, just want to tell you in like one simple example uh, on um, how I broke the hundred freestyle world record long course. That was the I don't remember the fifth or the sixth competition, not the race, but the competition in a row. I was tired as hell, you know, like competing fifty, hundred, hundred fifty, and Gennady comes to me and he said, Alex, uh, after this race in Monaco, you go into Santa Clara. There will be another competition, but what I need you to think is uh, at, at this particular moment, we need a, a certain result so that if you go, when, when you go to America, you just can maintain this level. Maintain this level, it means like, oh, four, well, I mean, four kilometer session. Easy, long distances, you know, some work, some, some technical work. But if you will not be able to achieve that result, we need to do more work. And that's a six kilometer per session. And the difference between four and six made me like go absolutely nuts. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go six kilometers because I know what six kilometers. And I say, I want my four kilometer sessions in Santa Clara and I'm going for it no matter what. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's I awesome. did it. That's awesome. What do you think behind the blocks when you're standing there, 
when I'm when I'm standing there behind the blocks, I'm nervous as hell. Did did Alex Popov get nervous? What are you thinking? Uh, well, of course, uh, we're all human. We're all alive. You see, only dead people don't get nervous. Uh, I was mainly trying to think of my own race because as soon as you start looking around, starting to realize what your opponents are doing uh, in the water, you lost. I've learned over the years and with experience that I do see the picture, and but I don't, I don't kind of focus on it. I don't realize it. You know, there were some splashes here and there, but I'm mainly concentrating on my own race, my own lane, my own pace, stroke rate. And that's the key. I think that was the key. Mm, yeah. Yeah, very good advice. I, I agree with that too. I had my best races when I was doing that technique for sure. Um, so after 96, there was a couple of things that happened. And obviously, um, you can talk about this as much or as little as you want. But um, I want to give you my impression of, of something that I noticed. Um, you know, you were, you were stabbed in, in Russia and in 97, uh, I believe. And I, I remember hearing of the news and thinking, uh, I mean, I, it was like my brother had been stabbed, you know, like I, I was in total shock. I was in total disbelief. And back then we didn't have internet, things like that. So we had to just hear things, you know, through the sources that we had back then. But uh, I felt sick and I, and I wanted to do something and I felt helpless. But, you know, so my, my friend and my brother has been stabbed and I don't know what's happening. But um, you want to talk about that at all or not? Oh, well, you know, it was, uh, I usually say, you know, when people ask me, I say, um, I reply, this way that I was at the wrong time, at the wrong place, with wrong people. When I was in the hospital, I had a lot of time, you know? I was uh, alone there in the, in, the, in the room. And man, you know, I had a lot of thinking to do and I did. And uh, I made a lot of change in, changes that particular moment when I was in the hospital. I've changed once again, I've changed everything around me. People that I was communicating, changed them. Things I was doing, I wasn't doing it uh, anymore. <clears throat> so, and the only thing that I knew uh, is uh, going to help me is swimming. When I was uh, discharged from the hospital, I came to the doctor who operated me and I said, listen, when can I start training, training properly? He said, listen, it's going to take you a while. He said, uh, the inner scars will be formed in about three months like the organs and all that kind of stuff that were, you know, injured. And he said, before that, don't do anything. After 90 days, you can slowly start to move. And uh, when I came to Australia in November of 1996, I slowly, basically the next day I was in the pool. But, you know, I had, a, well, if you remember, I have a big scar, you know, mm. stomach, you know, well, not across, but, you know, in length. And, uh, I dove in the pool, but because it was so stiff, I hit, I hit the bottom of the pool because it couldn't straighten. I couldn't overbend, you know, like you know, when you in the, in the start. And I'm like, wow. I couldn't do the turn. The same, I was going, I was sinking, you know, like going downwards. I'm like, wow, I need to do some stretching. I need to do a lot of conditioning work because uh, when I left hospital, I was 10 kilos under. And it took me nine months to put it back on. Nine months. Mm. 
only by May <clears throat> of 1997, I uh, got to that condition you know go to that weight and conditioning like fitness level that i could start training properly yeah i remember um when you came back to australia i saw you at the is for the first time and you were like a stick i mean you had lost all your muscle it didn't look like the pop-off that i knew physically but i remember this very specifically it's something that sticks with me you didn't talk about it you didn't uh you didn't whine about it you didn't cry about it you were you were mentally to me and the way that you projected yourself to everybody else you were the same alex popoff you were it was almost like you you were like yeah that happened so what i'm a swimmer let's go it, it was like there was a switch and yeah. i know i noticed that so it was so profound to me that you had that approach that it didn't seem like there was any psychological effects it was only a physical effect that i saw well you know when something happens you know it happens nothing you can do nothing you can change you know you, you know you can rewind you know you reverse your you know rewind your uh, life back you know and you know do the other things so from the moment when i woke up after the operation you know i knew that that's it you know the only way for me to recover is to come back to swimming back to australia and that's it you know maybe why i was the same you know because i had a lot of uh, thinking done before mm -hmm. and realizing things and changing my environment and you know people around me and everything so when i came to australia my everything was back to normal yeah yeah i noticed that too and it was just a, a physical build after that you just had to get your but it was still the same funny charismatic alex popoff that we always knew and loved so it was uh it was incredible the way that you handled that. So uh, let's forget that now. So, so then uh, I also want to talk to you about uh, a, a person that came into your life and then had, had a, a big effect on your training group. That's obviously Michael Klim and he comes to swim with Gennady. And I don't want this to be about Michael, but I just want it to be more about your relationship together because obviously, you know, Michael grew under you and your, your mentorship. And then he, he, he ended up breaking the world record in the 100 freestyle. And I want to ask your opinion on that in a minute. But just in terms of training with, with Michael and watching him grow, what was that like for you? Well, I remember Michael joined our squad in 94, January, I think, or February of 1994. He came as a, I don't know, 16, maybe 17-year-old kid, 15 maybe. Mm. And uh, he would always, every session, he would always race us. So what we did with Vlad Pushnenko, remember, he mm. was there. Morning session, I would pace uh, Michael, and afternoon session, Vlad would pace him. <laughs> we would take, kind of taking a rest. Michael, maybe three or four days later, Michael is dead. Oh, we just keep on going. <laughs> kept on, you know, Michael kept on uh, racing uh, for about maybe six months. And after that, he realized that, no, you don't need to race. You know, because we, we swam our own paces uh, throughout the whole session. And he was trying to either keep up or to beat us. But we would just not simply not uh, react to it, you know. And uh, he realized that, you know, we're not reacting to anything that he's doing. And, uh, and then he started to swim his own uh, race and pace. And uh, interestingly, you mentioned uh, our relation. You know, we always had a good relationship in, in our squad with everybody. Mm. Be it Rayas, be it Edward Roach, be it uh, Dwight Sheehan. Uh, whoever Sarah Ryan, Matt Dunn, Matt, of course, Matt Dunn, 
we always had a laugh. We always had a good environment. You know, like inside the squad, we always had a good environment. We always would support each other. And uh, no hustles, no, no arguments, no nothing. Mm. Always respect and everything. But then, obviously, Michael becomes really good and then becomes a very, I don't know if he's a fierce competitor, but he's, he's someone that's trying to take your gold medals away from you in the 100 freestyle. And then ultimately, like I said, in Sydney, he leads off that relay and breaks the world record, takes your world record away from you. How, how, do, how does that make you feel? That's what the records are for, you know, to be broken. But you see, the thing is, I knew weaknesses of Mark, uh, Michael very good. And uh, I knew what uh, I needed to do, you know, in order to be a little bit better than Michael. That's true. That's helpful. When you're, when you're training with somebody, you know the, you know the strengths yeah. and the weaknesses. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, that apparently uh, showed uh, the result in, uh, in the race, in the individual race, not the relay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A definitely um, different result. He, he didn't break the world record individually. Um, and did, didn't win the gold medal then. Uh, then obviously a guy like Peter Van den Hugenbank comes along. How was your relationship with him? We still uh, communicate quite well. Well, every time we see each other, it's not very often, but every time we see each other. Last time, actually, we, we saw each other, hmm, that was a few years ago. That was... Uh, when we when we were talking like close to each other, and apparently Peter works for Eurosport, I think, as a as a, as a commentator for swimming. And uh, there was a world in Barcelona, and we would sit. He would sit in lane four, and I would sit in lane five, or on the block of lane five, <clears throat> and we would just communicate. Well, just chit chat, and you know, trying to recall uh, our race uh, from ten years ago. And I said, Peter, you know where you lost uh, your 100 freestyle final uh, at the Worlds? He said, where? On the turn. I don't know if you remember. Did you, did you go to Barcelona in 2003? I swam in the final you, with you, my friend. You beat me in the final. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in the 50. In the 50, not the 100. Remember the lane robes that there were in the pool? Remember them? They were... They would not stop the waves. They would just, the, the waves just kept on, you know, kept on going back and yeah. forth. Back. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the heats, I would, uh, you know, after the turn, I did the, the you know, the, the underwater part came up, boom, first wave, second wave. Okay, okay, good, interesting. In the semifinal, I did a little bit uh, longer um, part underwater after the turn, came up, boom, only one, one, one wave, good. And then in the final, I went even further, further out after the turn. And, uh, yep, I missed uh, all the waves and Peter got two. <laughs> I, st I saw a replay afterwards and Peter basically stopped and he started to swim from, from standstill. And uh, when, I, when, I explained Peter to, uh, when I explained to Peter this uh, story, he said, gee, that's so simple. I said, yep. <laughs> yeah he popped up he didn't have much underwaters peter he was the type of guy that would pop straight he he was better on top of the water yeah. do you think uh was he was he your toughest competitor over over time or is there someone else that you find right they were, they were all not easy gustavo borges mm. no mm. two or five or something you know brazilian monster uh, I'm spending about 226 or something. He's like a gorilla, you see, like uh, long arms, long yeah. legs, and very powerful apparently. But I don't know what just 
you know, was what was missing in his training. Gustavo could have been, you know, out of reach. Uh, Gary, he wasn't easy. Uh, Anthony Irvine, you, know, you name it. Even you were not easy. Michael Klim, Ian Thorpe, you know, when, when eight swimmers get on the blocks in the final, let's say, world champ of the World Championships or the Olympic Games, my, nobody wants to lose. Yeah, true. Good point. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. You know, I'm very, thank, um, very honored that you'd include my name, but thank you for saying that. But it's, it's, it's very uh, honest, you know, because you're right. Anyone can win, but when it comes to the 50 um you you or the 50 or the 100 um you know i don't think it's a chance i think i think it's the most prepared person physically and mentally that ultimately wins the races and and you did that better than anybody else in the world um 2003 was obviously uh, a year where you were fantastic again why why do you think 2003 was special and let me ask you this before you answer that was sydney a disappointment for you Mm, yes and no, not really, not really. Well, first time I went to that uh, Hornbush swimming pool, back, uh, that must have been 1997, it was open, huh? mm. I never liked it actually, from the front. <sighs> you still there? There you are. Hello? Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cut that out, it's okay. Yeah, somebody called me and I said, listen, <laughs> uh-huh. I can't. Uh-huh, no problem. So, um, what was the question? Sydney, the- Sydney 2000, was that a disappointment for you? Um, you know, yes and no. Yes and no. I knew, I knew what Peter, could, Peter is capable of. I knew that uh, Australians will be very strong because it's their home soil. And also... Um, uh, there was a special situation. Gennady was a member of the Australian team and they were training in Melbourne for the last three weeks before the games. Mm. And Canberra training with Jim Fowley. And for me, uh, remember in, in, in Melbourne, we had a competition, a race. Was it Victorian Open or something? Yeah. There, there was a competition. But during that comps, uh, I felt fantastic, you know. I didn't produce too much effort to swim 49, I think, four, five, three. I don't remember. Uh, but uh, when I went back to Canberra, you know, I started to kind of not fall apart, but it just started to go backwards a little bit in terms of my shape and, you know, readiness. Mm. Um, yeah, but no, no, like I wasn't disappointed at all because, you know, that's, that's life. Yeah. That's- yeah. Well, like I said, 2003, you have this amazing comeback and, and win the world title um, and, and uh, have incredible performance. What do you think was the why, – why did that happen at that point in time? Interesting you asked that question. Uh, in 2003, in January of 2003, I left Australia and went to Switzerland, so I've changed everything around. I changed all the environment. Once again, I changed the country, changed the society, the language of communication – and uh, life became uh, even more interesting uh, in, in Switzerland. And uh, once motivation. Mm. Wow. That's how. So you just felt rejuvenated, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and also I was in Europe. I didn't have to travel that far. <clears throat> you know, 
like flying from Australia, anywhere in the world, you know, it takes uh, days. We don't have our personal concords anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, it was remarkable to see you back on top and it was, I was actually, um, you know, proud to, to call myself a competitor at that point in time. I was in the final of the 50 freestyle, like I said, and if I was going to get beat by anybody, I'm certainly proud to be beaten by Alex Popov uh, any day of the week, you know, but uh, so let's jump ahead to 2004 real quick because we actually competed against each other in Barcelona at the Men Ostrom and uh, it was an outdoor pool. As you know, they have the roof off. And, and it's about six weeks before the Olympics in 2004 in Athens. And, and we competed. And um, you actually, uh, you won the 50. You killed me. I mean, we, we raced against each other. I finished second. But you beat me by, uh, you know, half a body length easily. It was, it was easy you beat me. And then we get to 2004 and it was like a different person. You didn't, you didn't swim the way I thought, I thought you were going to win the Olympics in 2004 and then you went and it just nothing clicked. What, what happened in 2004? Well, um, you know, the amount of training that I usually do for the competitions, I uh, kind of didn't manage to do that kind of uh, that well. I had, uh, it's not an injury, but I had really sore shoulder. I couldn't even lift my arm out of the water. I couldn't do the stroke under the water. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, my body gave up on me that, that season. I said, no, I can't handle it. No. <laughs> you do whatever you want, but I'm not. <laughs> so you knew after 2004, you knew just in your mind, that's it, I'm done? Yeah. As, uh, as soon as I came back uh, to the village from the relay, the medley relay, I gave all my swimming equipment away to the other guys, teammates, packed my bag and went to the official IOC hotel. Never came back to it. Oh, wow. That was it, huh? Finished. <laughs> Finished. Hey. How, uh, how did Gennady take the news that, hey, I'm done? How, how was his response? My, you know, I was um, almost uh, 33 years old, but I had to keep on going with my life and, uh, you know, had to do other things. You know, I can't, keep on swimming forever yeah when you look back on your career are you are you proud of your achievements maybe some things i could have done better but you know i cannot go back of course uh, with all the respect what i achieved and what i did i take it as a bonus yeah yeah incredible career do you do you regard yourself as the greatest sprinter of all time no not really Wow. I don't know. It's well. It's up to you guys. You know, you you rank people. You know, and um, what what I take or how I take it uh, that we are very fortunate. We managed to live two lives in one: first life as a swimmer or in sport, and second life as a be the coach or anything you know you do afterwards. So we have two, two opportunities in, uh, in, in one lifespan and we take both of them. That's a nice philosophy, man. I like that. So in terms of that, so the, the swimmer's gone in terms of your next phase of your life. Uh, you know, you work for the IOC still, correct? I'm an honor member. Yeah. yeah. I just participated in the IOC sessions and uh, I'm not involved in any, in any commission or work or anything, just the session. 
So what do you do these days to raise a family, make money, things like that? I have a couple of companies back in Russia and I'm looking now for, you know, for more opportunities, especially in this period of year or this time. Uh, there will be another opportunity. So I'm looking for maybe grabbing one. Mm, excellent. Not sure where, but you know, the situation will probably be clear a bit, a bit soon. I mean, uh, very soon. And, uh, you know, I'll make a decision then. Nice. Now you also have, you have three kids as well. And from what I can remember a few years back, you had a son that was very good. Does he still swim? Uh, for himself. They both actually swim. I have two elder sons and a little daughter. We all swim. Boys uh, do fitness, uh, do some training, but it's mainly for themselves. They, they swim pretty good. They swim pretty good. And even my eldest son used to swim with Gennady in Switzerland for a couple of years, but then uh, that program was shut down and uh, he came back to Moscow. Was it hard, is it hard for him to be the son of the great Alexander Popov? Not easy, not easy. Yeah. He all had an extra attention on him, mm. okay. and that's the that's the that's the that's the way that he's uh, on their shoulders, and that's my uh, also uh, responsibility. Yeah, I put so much pressure on my kids because of my achievements. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, man, I'm uh, so thankful that you gave us some time today. Is there anything I missed? Anything else you wanted to say? No, really. Good. Well, <laughs> Well, but if you want to hear anything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer. But, uh, you know, you know the link now, you know how to communicate. So if you want to do more, if you have some ideas, we can, we can do it uh, some other time as well. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm sure there's going to be a hundred, hundreds of people watch this and they're going, why don't you ask this? Why don't you ask that? Why don't you ask that? Let me say this. What's a, what's a memorable set or a memorable workout or, or something that you did in practice that you think was memorable? Well, few things. <clears throat> I remember in, uh, where was it? Uh, I think it was in Maruchido. We were training for, I think, Worlds in 1998 in Perth. We did a set. 400 on, was it six-minute cycle? And 100 on cycle, you know? 400 was aerobic pace and uh, 100 was um, MVO2 and closer to that uh, competitive uh, pacing. First 100 we swam was about one minute or something. Gennady yelled at us, you know, that we swam too slow. So we had to go like 55 and uh, 55, around 55, 54. And we had to do it 10 times. Oh. <laughs> and then... From cycle, from one cycle to another, six minute, two minute, that's it. You go, just keep on going, just keep on going, one after another. 400, 100, 400, 100, 400. Yeah. That was painful. Wow. That was painful for everybody. We, I think we swam eight and we just died, all of us. And last two sets, Gennady gave us to swim kicking. Wow. Even it went so hard, you know, like I, yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, I was I was struggling like I was pushing uphill. <laughs> wow! Now I can remember you were a freak on a kickboard. You could do some crazy fifty kick. Uh, from memory, I think it was somewhere around twenty six, twenty seven on a kickboard. Is that correct? Twenty seven, yeah, twenty seven, five, six, something like that. Wow! That is so fast. It's incredible. 
I mean, Brett, in order to support your speed at the, you know, in at the, you know, the 50 and the 100, you know, you have to have kicking, you know, you have to have powerful legs and uh, you have to train them. You have to train it in the water and in the gym. And uh, the main thing is the flexibility of your legs, flexibility of your ankle, flexibility of your uh, knee, flexibility of your hip, so that the legs will be working, uh, you know, with the most efficient way. Mm, yeah. As you know, that flexibility in swimming, relaxation, flexibility is very, very important. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like I said, man, um, I'm very thankful. That was awesome. Um, very, very honored that you'd talk to me and, uh, and get this recording. So I, I do have your number now and we can, we can do it again sometime. Okay. I see. I injured my index finger and uh, I can't straighten it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I got, the, I got the beard. You've got the, the cranky finger. Yeah, I see. Uh, well, we're sitting in the countryside house, you know, we built about 10, a bit more than 10 years ago. And when the self-isolation mode was introduced in all over basically Russia, we just came here. And we've been sitting here for nearly three months with oh. kids. Oh. We have three dogs, we have geese, we have chickens, I mean hens. What else? Two cats. Oh, wow. Turkey. How, how do you where, where do you get groceries from although you know there are some shops around just a couple of minute drive from uh from our place and uh yeah if you need some bread or something there are some uh dairy like um dairy farmers uh around here so we go and buy some fresh milk fresh cheese fresh butter man fantastic beautiful fantastic not a bad way to live for a little while we're about 70 kilometers away from Moscow. Sensational. Yeah. Clean, clean sky, you know, no clouds, no nothing. A bit more rain though. Yeah. But uh, there was a good day. Not very hot. We had some hot days uh, a few days ago, man. It was, uh, that was a killer. Oh, wow. Well, listen, today was a great day for me. So uh, let's uh, stay healthy and good to see you happy and healthy and um, be well, my friend. Okay. Thanks, Brett. You're Cheers, a champion. Mate. See you, Bye. Ciao, ciao.